It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from godaddy.com today. Welcome to Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm your host, Chuck Horn and Sam Stone. And um, today we have two things, a very special guest, um, an old friend, Chris Campbell, who is the chief strategist at Kroll, which is based in New York. Prior to Kroll, Chris was unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate in 2017 as Assistant Secretary of Treasury for Financial Institutions. But what Chris is really here for today is uh, a beloved friend of both of ours, Senator Orrin Hatch passed away. The funeral is being held um, this Friday. And um, Chris served as legislative director for Senator Hatch, and where he coordinated and managed the senator's legislative activities. He also served on the Senate Finance Committee, um, leading that as well for Senator Hatch. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Chuck, it's great to be with you, and uh, it's, it's always great to be with you. Uh, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's under these cir- uh, circumstances this time, but uh, I do know that that Orrin, uh, that we, those of us who knew him well, called him Orrin, um, you know, so, so deep, held you in such deep uh, and high esteem, and uh, uh, you, you were so you left such a lasting impre- imprint and impact on his life, uh, helping him guide him through some very tough campaigns and some tough times politically. And um, anyway, just uh, those of us in the hatch hatch world, we call each, we call ourselves hatchlings. Um, <laughs> we're so, so are so um, you know remember uh, the senator so well, and but certainly um, remember the time working with you. Uh, very, very fondly. Well, thank you. Um, it's very kind of you. Um, we want to have you on the show another time to talk about the economy and inflation, but today we want to dedicate this um, to Senator Hatch and as someone who knew him so very well and worked intimately with him on a daily basis. We're hoping you could share with us some stories about Senator Hatch that they're not going to read about in the Washington Post or New York Times and let people get an understanding of Senator Hatch, not only as a U.S. senator and a leader, but as a man, as a mentor. Um, I think Senator Hatch, which people don't realize, is he really cared about the individual. Um, he would, if you were, a, if he was a preacher, he would be the one that ministers one-on-one. And I wanted you to just share some stories about him and what people should know about Senator Hatch as the human and the man. Well, Chuck, you got it. You got it right on. It's a. Uh... It's weirdly, it's kind of an emotional time. Um, but it's, you know, like I tell you, it's, he was such a uh, caring person. It's unfortunate, very unfortunate. I think that there, uh, he's the last of a dying breed of politicians where if he gave you his word, um, even if the, uh, for those, those are no, act, not active in politics or haven't had to kind of been in the battleground doing this, um, you know, sometimes in politics, you, you, uh, you can make a deal today, and that deal that you made today, tomorrow may be devastating for you politically. Um, and the ground may shift, or the the consensus of, of where the American people or uh, or your constituents may may move. Um, Orrin, if he gave you his word today, tomorrow, next week, the next year, the next year after that, that his word was his bond. So it didn't matter what happened and no matter what shifted, he just, um, his integrity was everything. 
I oftentimes said that, you know, there was a lot of people um, that we met with, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of people uh, in time I met with and I was with them um, that, uh, you know, some were good, some are bad, some were criminals, some were, were not, um, you know, we met with everybody um, and, uh, you know, leaders and, and uh, but he just, the he gave everyone a second chance, everyone a third chance at a heart of gold. Um, the only thing you couldn't do with Orrin Hatch is you just didn't lie to him. And um, he just had such impeccable integrity and such an enormously large heart um, and was such an enorm uh, had uh, such a strong grasp of his faith um, that uh, he just, I, you know, because of that and the quiet confidence he had, uh, you just always knew everything was going to work out. He had an un uncanny way of being able to make the right decisions in impossible circumstances um, uh, very quickly. And um, gosh, he just, uh, uh, anyway, it's, I'm so, I'm so blessed to have had him as a mentor. Um, and the, you know, the countless people that I um, know today and the person I am today is um, largely due to he and his mentorship. So we're with Chris Campbell, um, former um, assistant secretary of treasury for financial institutions and a former legislative director for Senator Hatch. Chris, we talk a lot about him being a man of integrity and keeping his word. Can you give an example on a legislative battle where he gave his word and there was something you wish he'd go back on or something that is just a real life example? I think people feel well, I don't think they, people feel that politicians' words are as slimy as a vacuum salesman at the door, right? It just depends what will get the sale done. Can you give an example of something he did, he gave his word on, where it had been to his benefit politically or personally just to go back on it? Oh, I mean, I have, like, I have countless of them. I'm trying to decide which one, which one I want to give you. Um, look, I think uh, as a staffer, you know, whose job it is to make sure that the senator um, gets, his, gets his agenda uh, through and and uh, is able to do so in a way that's, that's, uh, that benefits his state, in this, in, in this case, this con his constituents in Utah, um, his uh, my, I mean, name a couple. Um, you know, many people don't know that that Warren, that Orrin was the original author of the Dream Act. Um, many people, you know, forget that he uh, worked with Ted Kennedy on the child health insurance program, um, and was was really the the main uh, thrust behind uh, that important healthcare program. Um, uh, folks, uh, you know, may, may or may not rem remember um, his stance on uh, stem cell research uh, early on. So those are three things that I can think of immediately at the top of my head that uh, were uh, that ultimately became law. Um, gigantic legislative, uh, you know, monumental legislative, uh, you know, victories or things that became law that were, you know, that were almost impossible to think of when you when you when the idea first arose. And at times, all three of those issues became wildly unpopular uh, in his home state. Um, but he made, he kept his word and, and gave his word to, uh, you know, leaders, presidents, um, and his, his former, his other colleagues in, in the Senate. Um, and candidly, ultimately, it came down to his, his word to his constituents that he would be uh, served as a man, or a man of integrity and honor. And but because of that, and those three things, you know, we have uh, a social safety net now for ch children who, um, you know, who may not have parents or, or 
um, you know, that, that can that they can get healthcare now in a way that that they would not have otherwise have been able to do um, uh, just because they were born in ways that were, you know, uh, non-affluent, uh, as Chuck, as you know, that I was. Um, the, you know, or stem cell research, the, the enormity of the um, medical research now, now has, has been conducted um, on that uh, with, with using that technology has been, um, you know, really, really needle moving and really uh, transformative in, in healthcare for so and for so many and, and doing so much for so many. So I, I, I can go on and on and on, but there's, I mean, those are three things at the top of my head that, that um, you know, we took the position Center House took the position, um, uh, the ground shifted um, at home in Utah, and he, but he had given his word um, and uh, just didn't back down. And all three of them um, now, I think, are mostly her- heralded by, you know, even even conservatives, um, of which Center House certainly was one. Um, Chris, uh, this, is, this is Sam. Is, is that, is the ability to do that a dying thing in this country because it seems like there are very very few politicians who even when they've built up credibility uh, have the ability to stand and hold a position against their base and and I think that's partially kind of as you referred to just moral courage and and conviction but at the same time I think the 24-hour news cycle puts so much pressure on was was he, were he and others lucky that they came in before that was this country lucky for it? Oh, yeah. I mean, without without a doubt, I can tell you that the country is is better off for having uh, had Senator Hatch uh, be a senator for as long as he was. Um, the uh, we can debate for hours. I think what 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 has changed in, in American politics and what what has uh, you know created the, the new politician of today. Um, there, I just say this way: there are very few members of Congress now that's that are currently serving, of which many, many I know, and they're all they're all really good people and crazy and crazy people, and what matters uh, they have you know amazing personalities. Um, uh, and I love most of them, um, but uh, that ability to be able to take incredibly difficult positions um, and have the conviction of, of knowing that it's the right thing to do. Um, it's, that's, that's a dying, that's a dying art. Um, and many, many, many politicians that I know now would, would only carefully use their, um, their platforms and their leverage and, uh, and their positions to be able to, um, you know, do things that would enhance, uh, you know them themselves, their districts, and their uh, their other states. Um, but be, maybe it's in twenty four news cycle. Maybe it's uh, social media. Um, it's just uh, taking a really courageous stand is actually now not at all um, uh, vaulted. It's no longer seen as courageous, and certainly not something that uh, that people will. Um, you uh, you certainly don't get any credit from the other side anymore. No. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I'll say this as a, as a lifelong Republican and, and pretty uh, yeah, fairly conservative guy. Um, yeah, um, is that you know? There's, um, it's a, a little, a little bit. You get a little more credit as a Republican taking on, uh, you know, moving to a Democratic position than the other way around. <laughs> correct. <laughs> Let's say it that way. Yeah. Very, very correct. Chris, we have about a minute thirty left before we have to take our break here. Um, 
tell us briefly what was that? What was a day in the life of Senator Hatch when he was in D.C.? What, what time did his day start? How did it end? Yeah, so this is uh, something that really no no one really knows. Um, I'm I'm really happy to, to talk about it. The, you know, he worked he woke up at uh, somewhere between four and five a.m. every morning, um, and would work out and get in the office well before seven. And um, really, at, he, he began every day uh, reading uh, the the LDS scriptures and praying um, for his you know. For, for us, the staff, and for the country, and for uh, those those men and women that are serving uh, in the military, um, and got ready for the day. I made sure that his schedule was, was prepared, and that we, as staff, had um, you know had him uh, prepared to do what he was going to do that day. And uh, the day would end um, typically between nine and ten um, every day, uh, where he would then go home and and uh, begin again. So he really. Uh, Genuinely, the entire time I've known I know him, which was many, many years, he had about four hours sleep every night. <laughs> That's amazing, and, and, and passed away at eighty-eight. Um, what was his workout? Was it a stationary bike? Was it dancing to the oldies of Jane Fonda? What was it? <laughs> you know, quite a lot of things. He did. Uh, he always did some. You know, Chris, was, Chris, hang but, on. I'm, we're going to answer that when we come back. Breaking battlegrounds. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm your host, Chuck Horn, with Sam Stone. Today, we are honored to have Chris Campbell, who's chief strategist at Kroll, based in New York, former legislative director for Senator Orrin Hatch, served on the Finance Committee, and also was unanimously confirmed by the United States Senate in 2017 as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Financial Institutions. So let's go back. We were talking about his workouts. I asked if it was a stationary bike, or if it was dancing of Jane Fonda to the oldies on a VHS. What what, what was the workout daily, and um, what, what was his pick-me-up food, too? I mean, you know, I, I'm here with a Red Bull, which I don't think Senator Hatch was doing. But no, um, tell, so tell, me what, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so like, uh, yeah, it, the funny thing, you know, Senator Hatch had this uh, uncanny way. He was very tall. Every, when someone first met Senator Hatch, they were always the very first thing that I would say would there, there was always one of two things. You're like you're much funnier than we thought you were going to be because he just had this infectious uh, laugh and this this cr- really funny sense of humor. It's kind of a dry and wry sense of humor. Um, and then the other thing was like, gosh, I didn't know how tall you were, but he had this like he was almost like a, a green a green bean. I mean, he just was very tall and very thin, but it would eat so much. I mean, he just he like uh, he's uh, you know Chuck as you know he, he uh, famously loves uh, Chuckarama and and buffets, and he would just eat and eat and eat and eat. Um, uh, anyway, just it was it was it was a thing to behold. He um, they knew his name at Chuckarama, right? It's like a major <laughs> D at a famous restaurant. They knew him at Chuckarama. I've had Chuckarama people who worked there and say, oh, I met Senator Hatch. Yeah, wait, wait a minute, because this show is in Arizona and Florida. What the heck is Chuckarama? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, sorry. Chuckarama, I apologize for that. So Chuckarama is a, is a really famous uh, ch- uh, chain of restaurants in Utah that are buffet. All buffet. And, okay. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> um, and uh, just, uh, he, you know, he would, let's say, say like, 
I don't think the center hatch could could go only one time. I mean, he, he had he had to go back for seconds <laughs> and oftentimes thirds. Um, but yeah, it just was a, a uncanny way to do that. Um, yeah, and like his, his workout, he uh, do a stationary bike. He would do uh, walk on the elliptical machine or or uh, that kind of stuff, and then lightweights. Um, was really famous at at, at stretching. He loved these like stretching exercises, uh, kind of almost yoga. Um, and uh, but you know, I guess I guess. It, it, it was good enough to keep him zen. So, um, and he had this really an amazing way, you know, uh, people I'm sure can, can, um, think about, you know, the stress of, of what a U.S. Senator's life is and, and the, the difficult decisions that he or she have to make every single day. But, um, he has this really, he has this really way of, of this quiet confidence that, um, just never, uh, you know, let, never left you in doubt when he made a decision. Um, but, um, it was, just lack of stress and there was just kind of a uh, grace to the way that he uh, made his decisions and and um, uh, yeah just you know so he had this kind of zen ability to be able to to um, kind of make sure you know you always knew it was going to be okay um, right why he lasted 40 years there and not went to the funny farm right it's mean, <laughs> not had a mental breakdown with all these crazy people out there and all these narcissists there are, there are there are some there are some uh, unique individuals in uh, serving in Congress. What what sure. what and being there that long and being that close to various presidents, being a go-to guy, in, in, in his final Senate term, what did you see that frustrated him about how politics has been evolving and changing? So Senator Hatch, um, you know, for right or wrong, he really you know, the measure of of, a man, of his man, of his service in the Senate and the measure of a man was uh, his accomplishments. So, how many constituents he was able to help, um, what you know, very large pieces of legislation that he he could help, um, you know, to create or shepherd through just the process. Um, and he, you know, he served as the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, where I was the staff director for a while, and um, it, that's arguably the most powerful committee on Capitol Hill, uh, both House and Senate is the biggest jurisdiction um, and controls the most, most amount of money. Um, and even from that perch where we did a lot, I mean, uh, I mean, heck, he, he rewrote the tax code in 2017. Um, you know, like we weren't able to do as much as he wanted to because politics of the day. Um, great example. Our, our nation's healthcare system is, is, horribly broken um and could really use some significant changes um you know finance committee has um you know the largest again the, the largest share of healthcare um jurisdiction there isn't any uh, one committee and um he just wasn't able to, to get anything done there because uh you know the former president at the time obama uh you know leaned in and, and uh you know was insisting on on changing healthcare on a partisan basis and um, with only democratic support. And so therefore post Obamacare, there was just really nothing um, that could be done, nothing that really needle moving that could be done on healthcare or healthcare reform post Obamacare, which I think really frustrated him. Um, and so there's, yeah. So I, while we did a lot, right. And again, we wrote the tax code and shepherded several tax uh, trade agreements and, um, you know, and really did some needle moving things on, on welfare and others. Um, you know, I just wasn't able to do everything he wanted to do because the politics of the day. Chris, I got a question I have to ask. Did he do his own Twitter account? 
<laughs> did he have? I mean, either he had a genius staff around him, or he was a Twitter god. So, <laughs> as, as I said before, Sutter Hatch had this uncanny and this this wit that's really amazing. It's really infectious, and he just has an uh, has this, he's just really funny. Um, and he would work closely with with staff, and they would uh, you know kind of in rapid fire, of course, because you know Twitter is is. Um, you don't, you don't sit around thinking 12 hours for to send a, for a tweet. Um, but uh, yeah, so he'd work with a couple couple staff members and, and come up with some really amazingly funny funny stuff. And, uh, and he, yeah, he would send them out. Uh, he's, he's, he's just really, he's uh, just, you know, th- those those kind of things I will miss and it makes me smile when I, when I, when I think about him. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I, well, I think everyone will miss this Twitter feed. That's for sure. John McCain was famous for following sports at night. I mean, you know, Diamondbacks, Suns, whatever. He was a sports fanatic. At times I was with John McCain and drove him to this or that. He would start talking about hockey, right? Um, with the Senator the Hatch- only person in Arizona, by the way, yeah, talking yeah, exactly. about hockey. hockey. <laughs> does, does, does Senator Hatch have a favorite sports team he followed? Did he you know, check his box scores? Yeah, Chuck, as you know, like he grew up as an amateur boxer. And so, um, you know, many people don't know uh, one of his closest friends was Muhammad Ali um, and uh, kind of an unlikely pairing. Um, but so he loved boxing. But uh, but really what he followed most and what he what, where his real love was, was was in basketball, um, just as you know, he, he I think he fancied himself. I think if had he not be, become a U.S. senator, I think he really would have wanted to be a professional um, uh, basketball player. Um, but uh, yeah. Yes, and he just loved the Utah Jazz. I just absolutely adored them. Um, yeah, he he would be so happy when he knew when he, he was going to be able to go home and and um, and watch the uh, watch the game or in person or meet the players and, um, and you know and so and, and many of the iconic uh, players. And he was always to- dressed to the hilt at the games at the Jazz games. Every time. Well, I mean, I, 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 suit and tie, <laughs> I mean, to the max, right? He always looked dapper, even at a jazz game where everybody else is there with a hot dog stain on their T-shirt or whatever the case may be. Yeah, he's, uh, he's um, <laughs> the, the, the inside joke was that I, I, uh, Senator Hatch may have actually slept in a suit. <laughs> he was always in a suit. He always, he always looked uh, amazing. He always looked maybe, maybe he was the original James Bond, and we just pull didn't him, realize it. Pull so. him out of the press machine in the morning and, and send him to the office. <laughs> Chris, exactly. we appreciate having you today. Um, you, you've been wonderful. How can people find you and follow you on your economic advice and videos and things of that nature? Yeah, LinkedIn and um, uh, many other, many other, many other venues. Uh, Facebook and and uh, my Instagram account. But um, but uh, yeah, Chuck, I, I so much appreciate you and your friendship, and and uh, congratulations on all your success. And look forward to to keeping in regular contact. See you, buddy. Talk to you soon. Brooke, Breaking Battlegrounds. We'll be back. You deserve a home that's beautiful and stylish. At Overstock, you don't have to choose between low prices and quality. Find new, on-trend home goods that reflect your taste and don't compromise on value. You can be proud of your home and design a space where you feel like you, all under budget. Plus, you get free shipping on everything in the continental United States. Overstock is where quality furniture and decor cost less. Welcome back. To Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Uh, our second guest up today, David Keene. He's a trusted advisor to presidents, longtime champion of personal liberty, one of conservatism's most respected voices, former editor of the Washington Times, author, columnist, and a fixture on national television. You may have seen him on Fox News and others. 
Uh, he's additionally served as chairman of the American Conservative Union. And uh, I, I love this part of the byline, president of the National Rifle Association. David, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the program. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, you have a couple of pieces out uh, talking about some of the stuff the Biden administration is doing, and that's really what we wanted to talk to you about today. Uh, one of those is in the Washington Times. In fact, both are. Uh, but Biden's canceling college debt bribe targets young white elites. Tell us a little bit more about that. That's exactly right. You know, the, the point that I was trying to make, and that I've and that's been clearer and clearer to anyone who's watched the policy side of this administration, is that there is a recognition that the new Democratic Party, the party of Democrats today, no longer either counts on or appeals to the working class and middle class voters that used to be the underpinning and the foundation of the party back in the days of Kennedy and before. The fact of the matter is this policy recognizes that and comes on the heels of polls that were reported to the White House showing that younger voters are beginning to abandon uh, uh, Joe Biden. His favorability uh, rating among younger voters is dropping, and the organized activists within this group are saying the way to, the way to solve this, Mr. President, uh, is to forgive college and university debt, because if you do that, you'll get these people back. Uh, the fact of the matter is that while they couch uh, providing some relief to those who've gone into debt to go to college in terms that would that would make anyone who's not looked at the problem think that perhaps uh, this is for poorer uh, students, students from working class families who go to college uh, and have to borrow money to be in college and graduate and better themselves. fact of the matter is that a, that a cancellation of college debt disproportionately goes to the sons and daughters of the wealthy, uh, to graduate students, to doctors, to lawyers, uh, to the, the, uh, the most of it would go to people who are just out of college and making over $100,000 a year. And those are the people that are part of the base of the new Democratic Party. These policies are not designed to appeal to the middle class. They're not designed to assist people working their way up. They're designed to cater to the desires and the whims of the uh, upper class, what so many people call the elite or the sons and daughters of the elite, who uh, would have a much better time buying an upgraded BMW uh, <laughs> with the money that they'd have left over if they didn't have to pay their college debts. Yeah, if you get rid of that college loan, the M3 is easily affordable. That's right. Since the average uh, college debt uh, is around $22,000, if you bought yourself a, you know, a Toyota Celica rather than a BMW, you could handle both the car and the college debt <laughs> for the same price. But it's much better if you're one of these folks to have that uh, have that BMW or even a Range Rover if it's a bigger college debt. <laughs> David, this is Chuck Warren. What do you think we? Sh what do you think can be done about the ever increasing price of college tuition? I just. My second daughter's graduating law school this week. It never got cheaper every year. It never stayed static. It just got more expensive. What well, do you think of, can be done? Uh, well, I, you know, very few colleges and universities over the course of the last few decades have had any incentive uh, to either cut costs or hold the line. Uh, the the uh, increasing cost of a college education outstrips almost anything else 
in the American economy. And the reason for that goes back to the Great Society and the, de- and the decision that was made to provide uh, students, regardless uh, of other factors, with the funds they need to go to college. These college loans and the rest of it are out of control because what do they do? They make it possible for colleges and universities to charge more and more and more, knowing that the students that they're attracting will be able to borrow that money uh, and then hope for government forgiveness or, or just, as many of them do, just refuse to pay it back. So this, this creates an engine which does two things for the Biden administration at this point. One, it puts money into the pocket of younger voters who they want to go to the polls. And secondly, it subsidizes and provides machinery to keep the college and university escalating costs going up and up and up. Uh, David, we have just about 45 seconds before we go to break, and then we're going to bring you back for our next segment. Uh, Tell folks how they keep up with your work. Uh, What's the best way for people to follow you out there? Uh, Well, if they they get the Washington Times, I write a weekly column in the Washington Times, uh, and that's really the best way to to follow what I'm up to. And the Washington Times, as we've had uh, some of their writers on doing brilliant work right now, they are really doing excellent journalism. Highly encourage folks to follow that. Breaking Battlegrounds, back in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. On the line with us, David Keene, one of the leaders of the conservative movement for a long time, uh, writing today a weekly column for The Washington Times and uh, folks, if you're not uh, staying up with the Washington Times and David's David Keene's work, you're missing out. Uh, we were just talking about uh, how canceling college debt is really a bribe for uh, young white elites. But you have another piece in there uh, that I think is is actually really, really important right now. Uh, thin-skinned Biden is the most dangerous man in the world. Well, in a very real sense, he is. I mean, he is launched what's essentially a frontal attack uh, on free speech in this country. Uh, The formation of a board to police speech uh, is uh, one part of it. The Homeland Security's uh, announcement that uh, extremism, which means people who don't agree with the Biden agenda, are the most dangerous people in American history, is another part of it. Uh, And uh, his his partnership with uh, corporate America which is finally breaking down because of uh, Elon Musk, uh, has allowed his administration and allowed the progressives behind him to do what the Constitution does not allow uh, the government to do. For example, uh, if, if the government makes, if, if the police make a private citizen basically an agent and allow him to break into your house, that's prohibited by the Constitution because that private citizen is operating as an agent of the police. If he does it on his own, uh, without police instruction, without police coordination, then it's a private act and is not protected by the Constitution. He might be prosecuted for burglary. Uh, but what the administration administration has done is something unprecedented. They know that they can't restrict speech because the First Amendment of the Constitution denies them the right to do that. And they've essentially made partnership with these high-tech companies and others so that they are, in essence, acting as agents of the administration to do something that the First Amendment prohibits the administration itself from doing. The Supreme Court hasn't dealt with this. It has to. 
But the fact is that this administration is undermining the very foundations of the American democracy uh, by, by really putting the guarantees of the First Amendment and the rest of the Constitution at risk. Well, David, what it seemed as well is they're like what conservatives complain about all the time when we do economic development grants, that we're picking winners and losers. And it seems they're doing the same thing on free speech, right? Uh, if my side wants to say it, it's okay. You know, um, if your side doesn't, it's obviously violent, it's extremist. A perfect example well, the, the, is... The humorous, the humorous example of all this is, is before our eyes right now with the uh, Elon Musk uh, effort yes. to uh, buy Twitter. Uh, when Twitter was uh, was acting as this, this administration and the progressive left wanted it to do, which was to go after and try to silence uh, dissident voices, particularly among conservatives, that was fine. But the fact that a somebody who on at least free speech issues is a conservative and might at least allow those people a voice, that's terrible. And that, that's private enterprise out of control. So you've got attacks on, now you have attacks on billionaires uh, trying to keep the platform open before you had praise from the administration for billionaires who wanted to close it down because that's what they wanted to do. So, uh, you know, politicians as a general, and this isn't just Democrats or just liberals, uh, often find, uh, find themselves in bed with whoever wants to advance their agenda. Good ones try to avoid that. But the fact of the matter is uh, that what you have in Washington today uh, is a government peopled by folks who not only want to achieve their agenda in terms of remaking the society, but want to feather the nests of those who support them at the expense of the rest of us. Well, let's use an example right now. You have this group called Ruth, Ruth sent us, who is going to do protests outside the homes of six Supreme Court justices. They have a website where they posted Google Maps graphic pinning that people can go to. It's had over 4,000 views. And they're also paying compensation to artists who show up with signage and posters and artists and things of that nature. Could you imagine if Republican president had allowed that without at least verbally condemning it to Ginsburg or others in the past? It, it's, it's such a remarkable turn of events that the administration just seems to be okay with this, if not encouraging it. Well, and the administration has not really even condemned the fact that we had an unprecedented leak from the United States Supreme Court of a decision that hadn't been finalized. Uh, the president's spokesperson has said, well, we don't want to really get involved in that. Uh, the president himself has addressed the issue, but has not addressed the fact that this was an outrageous act. And all of this is part of something that has begun with the election of this administration, which is the demonization, the attempt to neutralize the United States Supreme Court, weaken it, and eventually pack it so that it will act simply as a legislative, uh, a legislative endorser of whatever the executive branch of the government wants. And this is, this is all part of an effort that was, that was clear from the very beginning, was stated uh, at the beginning of the administration, uh, the progressives want to expand the court. The Biden administration knows they don't have the votes in the Senate to, to do that, but they're attempting in any way that they can, using their outside allies, to try to weaken the court so that they can accomplish that goal. There's a very simple reason for it, uh, because if you look at the legislative agenda uh, that, has, uh, that has been part of this administration's drive, 
you find that many of the things that, that the president wants to do are simply unconstitutional and won't pass court muster. So if you're going to do those things, you need to do something about the court so that the court will say whatever you want to do is just fine. Well, David, and that's what this is a part of. I, I think I think this is a huge part of that. And I think it's a it's part of a bigger, frankly, an enormous problem for this country right now is the Democratic Party and their leadership has given up the idea that there are laws, there are norms, there are limits to their power, and they don't want anyone to interfere with whether it's that's, right. that's exactly right. And a, a, a minor but important example in the last segment, we were talking about the student loan forgiveness effort that the administration founded. The chief legal counsel to the education department during the Obama administration has written that the administration doesn't have the power to do that unilaterally. This is a congressional kind of thing. But the fact is that this administration is, spends most of its time trying to found, find ways to accomplish what it wants, regardless of the attitudes of the people on the one hand, the Congress on the other, or the courts. Uh, and that is, in essence, the rejection of the very idea of the rule of law. If we look at other countries, economic success and political freedom depend upon any country's respect for the rule of law. And undermining that undermines everything that the country stands for and can accomplish in the future. And at the same time, they're accusing their opponents, conservatives and Republicans, of trying to destroy our democracy. I do not know any Republican uh, within any sort of, of, of shooting distance of the mainstream who, who believes any such thing. We, believe, we tend to believe very deeply in those institutions uh, and are being demonized. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it's the, the remarkable thing about the misuse of the language uh, is that we have politicians today who want to accomplish A, uh, and while they're going about it, accuse their opponents of being the ones who want to do that. Uh, and what, they, what this administration and what the progressive left is trying to do is, as Barack Obama put it, fundamentally change uh, the way America is run, the American society, and our values. And they want to do it while accusing their opponents of, of being the ones who are behind it all. Uh, and if we had the independent and, and objective mainstream media, as, as many have come to call it, uh, that we've depended on as a republic and a democracy since the, since the formation of the American Republic, those things would be called to account, and the public would know what was going on. Uh, fortunately, there are today ways around some of these things, but the fact of the matter is uh, that if you dominate the news, the people out there make decisions based on only what they're told and what they learn. Uh, and if you can control that, which is what this administration and the progressive left wants to do, you can then get the public to do whatever you want, even if it's nonsensical, and even if you're accusing uh, your opponents of wanting to do what you're doing. It's, it's really... This is the dystopian nightmare that so many authors of the 20th century have written about. And yet now all of a sudden we find ourselves living it where you have, you know, just in the last couple of days, you've had uh, the Surgeon General and Bill Gates come out and basically say about COVID what people who were called COVID deniers and mass murderers have been saying for two years. Right. It is really 
it's hard for me to recognize the America that we live in right now, but the the country that Democrats are trying to create is something straight out of 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 horror fiction. Well, you notice that now as COVID recedes, uh, there's talk about wouldn't it be wouldn't it be a good idea to have mandates for the flu? Right. Yeah. Uh, to and, and it's all about. You know, even though many of these people knew, for example, that the masks, uh, as, some, as, as one doctor put it, is likely to prevent a virus from getting to you as a chain link fence is likely is, 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 uh, is capable of preventing a mosquito from biting you because it just, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but they said, nonetheless, it was good because it got the people to listen and it got the people to obey, and it got the people to do what they needed to do at the behest of the government. You see that in China. You see that elsewhere. You know, it's it's a lot easier to govern a people who aren't free and who accept the bondage that they're in than it is to govern a free and often cantankerous public. David, is China the model that, that these folks are looking at and saying that's what they want? Because it seems like that's where they're heading, which is really sort of a techno-authoritarian state. I think uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that they want to be China, but they want to use the technology, the same kind of technology, to, as they often put it, nudge people toward doing the right thing. In China, if you don't do the right thing, you lose your sometimes your job, sometimes you get fined, sometimes you you know you can't go to a restaurant. I mean, they have a, they have total control over everything you do, and given that situation, most people, ninety nine percent of the people are going to just go along and get along with what the government wants until it reaches a point where they can't any longer, which is what's going on now in Shanghai. But they'd like this here. You remember that uh, Barack Obama once wished that he had the kind of power uh, that the uh, Chinese uh, communist rulers had because you wouldn't have to deal with things like Congress. Uh, I don't think they're that blatant about it, but they certainly think that they know a lot better about what you ought to be doing than you do. And they find it frustrating that you won't always listen to and follow their advice. And anything that they can do to, to, to prod you, to nudge you, to convince you, to get you to do what they want you to do, rather than what your own conscience and your own reasoning tells you to do, is something that they like. And technology today provides a doorway to the, to the, uh, the brave new world that didn't exist when that book was written. David, I, I really see the barrier between what these folks are trying to do and, and what people did around the world uh, during COVID and, and our China's doing in the United States is the states. It's people like Ron DeSantis. It's Governor Abbott in Texas. It's all the other Republican governors who stood between them. Um, as a former chairman of the NRA, I got to ask, because this is one of, one of Chuck's issues, too. Shouldn't the NRA get the, get its butt out of the blue states and into whether Texas, Arizona? <laughs> you better believe it. You know, I often blame this all on Ulysses S. Grant and Phil Sheridan because <laughs> they should have they had the foresight when they incorporated in New York all those years ago to know that New York was not going to stay what it was in the 1870s. <laughs> uh, but they made the mistake, and for, and for oh, 20 years, the NRA leadership had been talking about we ought to move out of that place. 
Uh, and you know what inertia does to an organization. Yeah. Everybody would sit yes. around and say, yeah, we ought to do that. And then, and then all of a sudden they're saying, we, should, we damn well should have done that. <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> so. Absolutely. David, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today. We really, really appreciate having you folks. Follow David Keene at The Washington Times and tune in next week for a new episode of Breaking Battlegrounds. For Sam Stone, Chuck Warren, see you next week. Welcome to a little bit of a Breaking Battlegrounds grief session, anger session, (laughs) little bit of a rant coming up, folks, because in the last 48 hours, I got to tell you, I've spent two and a half years. Has Has it been that long now? Little over two. Little over two. Little over two years now being told that I was killing people. That I was a COVID denier. You're a mass murderer, Sam. A mass murderer. Yes. No, I mean, literally, I have been accused of being a mass murderer Mm -hmm. for not being a masked moron. I mean, this is what we've been talking about, folks. And in the last 48 hours, we have had Bill Gates. He of the all the COVID restrictions you can possibly throw uh, at anybody's office, even remote. Mm Mm-hmm. Your Microsoft office better be masked, Bill Gates. Look, he comes out and he says, oh, well, you know, we finally come to the conclusion that uh, COVID is not as uh, fatal as we thought. And, uh, you know, maybe we should have been, you know, more aware. It really only affects people who are elderly and, and sick and, you know, uh, we didn't know that. Yes, we did, you lying turd. I mean, seriously, Jamie, I've got Jamie Kleshik on the mic. She has been dragged against her will to the mic on this. But I am so riled up. I am so fired up this morning about this thing. I cannot hold back. We're doing this little extra session because I am sick of these pompous jacks. I'm not going to say the rest of that word. These people who have told us for years how they restricted our lives, they have accused people like me and many of you out there listening to this of all sorts of terrible things, and all because we were paying attention to the dang data, and they kept denying it. The Pfizer data comes out. It doesn't show 95% efficacy from their trials. It shows 12%. 12%. And 1,200 fatalities. That's insane. It's a higher rate of fatalities from the damn Pfizer vaccine than you had from the disease. This is unbelievable. And this has been jabbed into people three and four times, not me. Mm. I went and got the J&J. They just restricted that one because too many people are dying from it. I mean, this is absolutely insane, folks. And there needs to be a reckoning. I mean, that's what we're coming down to. You've got some people out there, I know Clay and Buck and some of the other radio hosts uh, that I've listened to have talked about this, but I'm not hearing it enough from the politicians. There needs to be a reckoning. We need to know what Anthony Fauci knew when. We need to know what Joe Biden knew when. We need to know what the Surgeon General knew when, because the Surgeon General's out today saying, oh, well, we probably should have been more honest with people and had more open discussions. Well, wait a minute. So you're telling me you knew you were lying, 
and, and now we're supposed to trust you as public health officials for the rest of our lives and we're supposed to take your advice, go to you know where and, and do it soon because this is just ridiculous. These people need to be held to account. And if they knew this data about the Pfizer vaccine and frankly, a bunch of Pfizer executives, they've been let off the hook by the government, which made them unsuable, immune from any sort of prosecution over this. Well, they knew what they were doing. So I don't know. I don't I don't believe when you knew you were killing people that you should be let off the hook. This is outrageous. And it needs to be. Jamie, does is it? Is it too much to ask at this point that we hold public hearings? I think that would be perfectly reasonable. Yeah. And those hearings have consequences for people who deliberately said and did things they knew were lies, destroyed lives and businesses and everything else, Mm -hmm. and killed people. Straight up, they killed people and accused others of what they were doing. Yeah. Is any of that unreasonable to say we need to put these people on trial in public know what they knew, when they knew it, and then they need to be held to account. And I mean real account. Yeah, I absolutely think that people deserve to have those hearings and to get all this out in the open and say, you can't do this to us again. I don't I don't think any of these guys did this maliciously, in all honesty. I don't think they set out to hurt anyone. But it's the cover-up that kills you. They, they knew what they were doing eventually, and they didn't say, whoa, hold on, we got to stop and and figure this out before we keep going. That's the problem. And if they had if they had said, whoa, hold on, let's stop, that's an entirely different story. I'm willing to let them go for that, but they didn't, and they just kept going. I'm willing to let them go up to a point because, for instance, when you're telling people to wear cloth and paper masks and that's going to keep you safe when you knew yeah. that was not true. See, honestly, that the, the, the mask Nazis drive me insane. They really do. But it doesn't really bother me as much to have somebody like Fauci come out and say, wear these things if it makes you feel better. It's a bit of a Band-Aid, and especially in the beginning, I think people needed that to, like, a security blanket to feel safe, even though it didn't mean anything. I got to tell you, I disagree, because, for instance, you have people like my parents who are very elderly. My father has been dealing with cancer. Uh, He's in his mid-90s. My mother is in her 80s. you know, they went out in public mm-hmm. wearing these masks, expecting assuming they expecting protection. Yeah. And they were vulnerable. They were in the group that actually was vulnerable to COVID or is still vulnerable to COVID. Mm-hmm. Obviously, much more vulnerable in earlier variants that were far more deadly than the current flu bug mm-hmm. that's going around. Um, but so they did that. Now, luckily, that didn't kill them. But you know what? They're, folks, there are going to be people out there that did. That's true. And so they were giving advice that directly killed people. Well, folks, we're going to wrap this up. I'm mad. I'm mad, and I want to see public justice. Breaking Battlegrounds. Back next week. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now.